You are listening to The Political Performance with Casey Bertaki on WNTH 88.1 or The Political Performance, the podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Political Performance hosted by Casey Bertaki on WNTH 88.1. This is a weekly debate and discussion show covering multiple different national and global political issues. My name is Casey Bertaki and I'm the host of this show. Each week, I'll have one or two guests on my show to discuss or debate a certain topic. If you're interested in coming on the show, please email me at thepoliticalperformance at gmail.com. While the political performance itself is not a politically biased show, our guests will be sharing their opinions. There are multiple sides to every issue, and the political performance does not endorse or side with any particular views. With that being said, let's get to the show. Evanston's mayoral elections are coming up on February 23rd. There are three fairly progressive candidates running for office, and tonight we are joined by one of them. Sebastian Knowles is a junior at Purdue University and a double major in accounting and political science. He was recently endorsed by Evanston Fight for Black Lives, an Evanstonian abolitionist organization focused on fighting for justice for Black people. Sebastian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Just continuing on the campaign week to election, so we're we're getting into the final stretch of the of the primary season. Yeah, you must be um, getting pretty busy and pretty nervous. <laughs> no, definitely, well. it's it's a lot of you know online stuff just because of COVID. But you know, it, it's it's definitely easy to keep busy these days. Yeah, sure. So um, to start off, could you tell me a little about yourself and why you're running for mayor of Evanston? Definitely. Uh, so you, you touched on it. You know, I'm 20, junior at Purdue, major in accounting and political science. Uh, I've, I've lived in Evanston almost my entire life. I moved here when I was one, uh, you know, grown up here, went to, went to private school, Pope John the 23rd. Uh, and then for high school, I went to Evanston Township High School. Uh, and for the, for the past six years, I've worked for the city of Evanston, uh, the, the past two of which I've worked in an administrative capacity with the Evanston Parks and Recreation Department, uh, which is where I, I learned a lot of the ins and outs of local government, uh, working with senior level staff from multiple departments. Uh, but that's really where, where I first got my, my inspiration to run was just some of the policies and programs that were in place in the Parks and Recreation Department and across the city uh, were just some that I didn't agree with. Uh, and, and that continued on uh, throughout this past year as well, uh, especially in relation to uh, George Floyd and his, and his passing and then the subsequent uh, response from the city of Evanston. Uh, I thought that there, were, there are a lot of uh, system, or systematic issues uh, that, are, uh, that impact Evanston. And we have programs, again, policies that have been negatively impacting uh, uh, BIPOC communities for, uh, for decades. Uh, so I, I thought that that was an opportunity for the city of Evanston to really make a difference in people's lives. And, and they really didn't live up to that, uh, to that potential that was there. Uh, so it, it inspired me to run. Uh, again, uh, my, my peers are, uh, are members of the Evanston Fight for Black Lives uh, group. And the work that they did throughout the summer was really inspirational as well. Uh, and, and I said, you know, this is, it's our responsibility. It's up to our generation to really take the mantle of responsibility 
and, and to make a change and push for meaningful change. And I thought, you know, at the very least out of this race that I can bring ideas uh, and solutions to the table for issues that uh, people may not have thought have been issues before. Uh, and, and so far, that's exactly what's happened. And, and the response from the community has been great. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm just happy to, to be here in Evanston and just fighting to make a positive difference in the community. That's great. Um, so what are some of the issues that are most important to you as a mayoral candidate? Mm-hmm. So I, I look at it this way because I, I, I break it down whenever I'm talking to people from from any place in Evanston is that we we have a number of issues, whether that's, you know, our budgeting and fiscal policy, uh, where we've been struggling in terms of balancing a budget, uh, whether it's racial justice, police reform, you know, implementing policies that will positively impact our black and brown communities. Uh, We've seen lack of climate action as well. Uh, But really what I've been trying to emphasize and in my campaign is that, uh, that one, we need to be comfortable talking about race here in Evanston. And that we, we often believe that Evanston is this bubble where a lot of the national issues don't affect our residents or don't impact us on a city level. Uh, so I, I wanna emphasize that when there's a problem in the community, no matter your background, no matter your race, you know, ethnicity, religious background, your, your gender, is that these issues are obviously impacting Evanstonians and it's important that we talk about them. And we can't begin to talk about a lot of these issues if we don't talk about race first. Uh, so that's, that was you know, pretty much my, my big establishing point in the beginning. Uh, and I try to explain it to people that you know, when we're talking about climate action and how it's important for Evanston to really rally together and, and put forth meaningful policy that, that can uh, combat climate change and reduce our car- carbon footprint here in Evanston. You know, we also have to talk about the, the racial aspect of climate change and climate action and how our minoritized communities have been uh, disproportionately impacted here in Evanston because of climate change. So I think it's important to have those conversations because in the end of the day, we can put together any type of solution to any problem. But if we aren't breaking it down to its core roots, then we're not going to address the problem for every Evanston resident. We're going to be missing some people. Uh, So I think it's important to have these conversations, just be an advocate for the community and, and just be there. And, and having these conversations, listening to residents and listening to the wants and needs. So there are three candidates running uh, for mayor, all of whom are fairly progressive. What do you think makes you stand out from these other candidates? One of the, the biggest takeaways I've noticed from this entire race is, like you said, is that, you know, all of us are pretty progressive, um, some more than others, but, you know, we, we all, you know, have that same baseline. Um, and I believe that all three candidates, all of us are more than possible. Uh, it's more than possible that each and every one of us will, will serve every single resident in Evanston. I have no doubt about that. Uh, but it's just the premise that I want to use my platform as, as a voice for communities that have been marginalized here in Evanston. Uh, and, and that 
yes, I will be working for each and every Evanston resident, but it's important that those who have been lacking a voice uh, for decades uh, have one. Uh, so, you know, all of our policy that we've crafted so far uh, has been with extreme amounts of community involvement. Uh, our, our police reform packet was, you know, is based off of the work that Evanston Fight for Black Lives did over the summer. Uh, and we implemented and, and put in programs that emphasize uh, young adult transitional programs when we worked with uh, advocacy groups such as uh, Black Up. Um, our reparations approach, uh, I, I believe that you know, the reparations program should be expanded uh, and uh, residents should have more options. And that's, uh, I came to that conclusion after being in talking to these residents and that's what they want to see done. Uh, so it, it, that's just a small uh, breath of just sort of what our campaign is, is that we have a campaign that's made up of staff, that we have the oldest staffer being, you know, 80s and their 80s and, and the youngest being 11 and coming from all different types of racial backgrounds, different genders, different religious uh, backgrounds. So I, I believe that's what we encompass in our campaign. And I think that's exactly what we need here in Evanston is a mayor that will come in and is committed to advocating for various different positions in Evanston, uh, giving residents a voice to, to really talk about their own issues and their own concerns about the community and just being available to Evanston or to Evanston residents so that they have a person to talk to. Uh, and, and we can start to work on some of these issues that have been overlooked in the past you know, 10, 20, 30 years. So you're 20 years old, you're still a junior in college. Do you think that your youth benefits you as a candidate? And how do you think that it will affect your decisions as mayor? I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that it does uh, it does serve as a benefit. Obviously, you know, the youth question is always something that comes up with people. So that's, that's that stigma that comes with it. But at the same time, I see it as this, is that while being in school and the younger you are, you are taught to listen, right? And that you don't always know the answer all the time. Uh, and, and I have been, you know, a person that has said multiple times that I don't have the answer to every single solution that Evanston faces. And if anybody tells you that they do, then they're lying to you. It's, it's the ability that, that youth have especially uh, because they are closely removed, um, if not still in my case in school, to understand that sometimes it's better to just sit back and listen to what somebody has to say. Uh, whether, you know, when it comes to reparations, uh, Evanston has been at the forefront of, of our reparations program um, in the nation. And it's, it's something that I, I am very proud to stand by that, you know, Evanston has really come together as a community and done this. Uh, but at the same time, it's a program that's lacking. And if we want to be a leader in, in such a topic, uh, that we need to get this right. And residents feel as if they don't have people that are listening to them. They don't have elected officials that have been listening to their problems, their concerns that they have with the program. So 
that's what I believe that I bring to the table, especially with my youth. And as well as bringing together different ideas and just looking outside of the traditional political box uh, that, you know, every solution to our budgeting crisis doesn't have to be an increase in property taxes, that there are different ways to generate revenue that we might not have thought of for the past, you know, 10, 20 years. Uh, so I, I think that those are some of the benefits that come with being a younger candidate, uh, that you bring in fresh new ideas, you're able to listen to residents, and you just come from a different point of view when looking at things. So how do you plan to hold office and manage your senior year at Purdue? So I, I have, uh, while at Purdue, um, I was an undergraduate assistant for their men's basketball team. So I essentially had the, had the schedule of a student athlete uh, minus a practice or two. So I typically worked, you know, anywhere between 20 and 30 hours per week while being a full-time student. Uh, I, I think that prepared me well for this situation now uh, because I, I had classes from 8 to 12 and I had practices from 1 to 5 or sometimes 6. Um, and that was my schedule on a, on a daily basis. Uh, and right now, as running a campaign, I'm also taking classes and my grades are perfectly fine. Uh, I, I believe that it allows me, honestly, more time to do the job at hand. Um, because the, the mayor of Evanston is a part-time job, um, most mayors of the past and the two candidates now uh, will continue, or the two candidates other than me, will continue working um, in their job as well as being mayor. Uh, and, and the good thing about being a student still and with remote learning is that I have that flexibility of not having set class times that you know I go at my own pace and I do what I need to do uh, when it needs to be done. Uh, and that allows me to have more time to be committed to the community. So that's, that's where I see that I've already done that balance in the past. I'm doing that balance right now with taking classes and running a campaign. Uh, and I continue, would continue to do that balance while being in office. That's really interesting. Um, so what do you think of the other candidates' plans to defund the Evanston Police Department um, do you think that their reforms are comprehensive enough and how does yours compare? Um, I, I don't know if they are. Uh, from, from what I've seen so far, it doesn't seem like there is a plan with any of the other candidates. And they may have points on their website. You know, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to knock them for for doing the, the work. Uh, but it, it seems to me that out of all candidates that I've been the only one who's listed out exactly what I would plan on doing when going into office, where, you know, these are, this is what we can do in the first 90 days, the first year for uh, four years, um, et cetera. Um, and we, we've seen, uh, and say in our Evanston fight for black lives forum, uh, you know, arguably the front runner for this race, Daniel Biss said, that, you know, he doesn't know if right now is is the time to defund the police. And I saw that and I, I thought to myself, well, when is the right time? And this is this is the problem that's specifically been impacting minoritized communities, whether it has to do with race or whether it has to do with gender, sexuality, 
is that these issues always get pushed down the road, that now is not a good time to address the problem. We can address it later, or we can do this program this way, or defund the police this way, or reallocate funds this way, so that, you know, eight years from now, then maybe we can, you know, go the go the full length of the field. And that's the problem with with uh, how I see both of their um, their plans of defunding the police or police reallocation is that we need to recognize that now is the perfect time that we saw a movement happen over the summer and continued into this year that was unprecedented, that we saw civil rights marches across the nation. So this is this is something that has backing across across the entirety of the United States and especially in, in Evanston. And I always say that an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure, that we shouldn't have to wait for somebody to get hurt in Evanston or something to happen in Evanston for us to make some change in our police department, the way we serve our community overall in terms of programming, schooling, et cetera is that we can we have the resources right now to make a change and that we should because it'll benefit our black and brown communities it'll provide more resources for evanston residents as a whole and as well it's just a fiscally responsible thing to do we can provide better services while also saving money so i don't see why we don't do that and it should be a priority that this is an issue that doesn't just impact black people, but it affects everyone that lives in Evanston because everyone will be touched in one way or another uh, by, by these types of reform. Um, okay, so now I have a few questions about Northwestern University mm-hmm. and kind of its relationship with, with the city of Evanston. Um, so first, wouldn't your economic plan uh, cripple relations with Northwestern University, which would be fatal to the tourism and small business sector of Evanston? This is from uh, Saeed, by the way, who's another yeah. student. Uh, no, I, I don't think that it would, uh, because this is Northwestern. Uh, it does like to say that they, they don't really have the money to contribute at times or, you know, that but they, they do have money, there's no question about it. Uh, and Northwestern and Evanston have been in this interesting relationship where Northwestern came before the city itself, uh, and, but they've been you know, hand in hand with each other uh, you know, and growing with each other throughout the years. Uh, and it's, it's important to note that our relationship now is a lot different than what it used to be. And uh, in, in say, you know, 1850s when uh, Northwestern was created and Evanston was created. Uh, so that's why I say we need to reimagine what that relationship looks like. We see that Northwestern contributes about a million dollars into the Good Neighbor Fund, um, as well as a couple other programs. You know, they have an they have an office at Evanston Township High School that students can use and utilize those resources. Uh, they do another uh, a number of other programs that directly benefit um, um, residents. Uh, but the issue then becomes: they give us a million dollars in this Good Neighbor Fund. Uh, they they expect that any fire services that they use be paid out of that good neighbor fund. 
which in the last year amounted to about $600,000. Therefore, Northwestern is really contributing about $400,000 in, in direct uh, financial assistance to the city of Evanston. And in the large scheme of things, that's not a lot of money. And, you know, after going through and analyzing, you know, the, the reports made in 2017 and getting that estimate of, of what the lost property tax revenue is from, uh, from uh, Northwestern properties and their, their tax exempt status, it comes up to about $29 million. And, you know, in, in no way, shape or form am I expecting Northwestern to fork up $29 million. Uh, we know that they have benefits in the form of tourism, in the form of their students, you know, living in Evanston and, and utilizing the resources that we have and the businesses that we have. And then all of that will be taken into consideration in any type of negotiations. Uh, Northwestern has things that they want from Evanston, uh, whether that's, you know, to, to have concerts at, uh, at their uh, football arena uh, whether that's to hold any number of programs in Evanston that would require the city's assistance. Uh, Northwestern students want things as well. I know Northwestern students have come to me talking about, uh, you know, the, the brightness of street lamps and how it, it makes them feel unsafe at night if it's uh, too dimly lit in the neighborhood. Uh, so there, there are all types of issues that Northwestern administration and Northwestern students have. And then there are issues that the city of Evanston has and its residents have. It's just the fact of the matter is, is that we are here together and this is one community. And this is a baseline for us to have this conversation that yes, Northwestern should be contributing more to Evanston and that the residents themselves cannot shoulder the burden. Uh, and, and if we continue on the path that we are right now, we will see an exodus of residents in middle and low income families and households because property taxes will continue to rise. Only 60% of Evanston is taxable and Northwestern takes up 10% of Evanston overall. Uh, so there's rooms for negotiations and there's room for planning our relationship out going forward. And I think that's where we need to have this conversation. And not pretend that this isn't an issue that impacts all of Evanston is that we can we can go forth and solve problems whether it's you know through direct financial assistance from Northwestern or it's them just implementing programs for Northwest or not Northwestern uh, Evanston residents and that they can be helping and contributing more to the community and being a non-for-profit is you're our charitable organization and you're supposed to give charity to the community that you reside in. Uh, so that's, that's the way I see it. Uh, and, and I see that, you know, that we will have benefits financially or just in terms of a, a better partnership going forward with Northwestern. So um, as a follow-up to that question, also from Saeed, how do you plan on getting on getting Northwestern on board with such? A deal? I think I, I think I touched on it a little bit. It's just the fact that Northwestern has things that they want as well, and you know they they want to implement some program um, or or implement some policy or whatever whatever that may be. You know they they wanted to to bring. Um, in, in their football arena. And, you know, 
we we can't begin to have that conversation about yes or no you know is that acceptable if they're not going to be contributing to the community because in the end of the day northwestern receives a benefit right but the residents who live immediately nearby don't and if anything they receive a negative which is what ended up happening is that residents were upset that Northwestern wanted to host these private events um, in their arena, but yet there was not going to be a benefit for the city of Evanston or the immediate residents that were living nearby. Uh, so that's where I think that we can come to the table and have these conversations. Um, if Northwestern students need something either from Northwestern or from the city itself, you know, it's say a lack of nightlife in Evanston, then we can bring that to the table is that, look, we're going to try to attract more businesses that would that would be, you know, more positively received by Northwestern students in exchange for you helping out the community more. And that's the type of relationship we need to have going forward is a, is a collaborative one is that, you know, all of us need something. All of us have issues. Let's go forward and solve them. And we're not going to, you know, not everybody can win. That's, you know, it's impossible when it comes to, you know, talking about equitable resources and just sharing and making compromise is, but the, the premise is, is that, you know, Evanston residents can be relieved somewhat at least uh, by the burden of solely shouldering the generating or generating revenue here in Evanston. And, you know, Northwestern, its students, uh, you know, can, can get some of the things that they, they want and need. How do you plan to take citizen input into account mm. as mayor? Uh, I, since the beginning of my campaign, I, I've noted that it's extremely important that we have transparency and accountability when it comes to politics. Uh, and that was the, the very first door I ever knocked on. A resident came to me and I was like, you know, how can I help you? Uh, and he said, you know, I, I haven't you know, been able to get in touch with my alderman on a consistent basis. And I haven't seen the mayor in three and a half years. And to me, that was a worrying sign right off the bat. And this was a conversation that continued to come up uh, throughout my time getting signatures, talking to members of the community. Uh, so I, I said from the beginning of my campaign that I would uh, that I promise to hold weekly town hall meetings, uh, whether it's on Zoom or in person, you know, COVID permitting uh, going forward. Uh, but the premise would be is that residents can come to me with any problems that they have, even if they just want to talk and have a conversation. And it's my job to listen. And then if they have a question that I can answer, it's, it's my job to answer. And I can take any information that I, I receive and relay that to the city council. And this, you know, this, these town hall meetings would be open for any alderman to come in or any staff, city staff that would wanna come in and talk to residents. And I, I invite all the aldermen to do the same on a consistent basis is that we need to establish communication with residents. And when we listen and we communicate with them, that's when we establish trust. And that's something that Evanston has been lacking for a while now is trust. Um, so how will your policies help BIPOC Evanston? So I, I do want to note that, you know, when it comes to police reform, especially uh, because that's, you know, people think about defunding the police, you know, decreasing the amount of police that we have. But at the same time, uh, we need to talk about the, the back end of this issue. 
is that we need to be implementing programs, uh, especially that target our youth uh, so that we can close the educational gap here in Evanston. Uh, you know, when that we can uh, stem the amount of black residents that are lost on a yearly basis. Uh, and I believe that all the all the programs that we've been pushing for so far would, would help in aiding that. Uh, obviously, this issue is very multi-layered, and there's no one solution for it all. Uh, but we have to tackle our affordability here in Evanston, and that's you know going through talking about affordable housing, actually having an affordable housing plan, so Evanston can be more affordable uh, for its residents, uh, and and as well as that we stop the stop the flow of gentrification into our primarily BIPOC neighborhoods. Uh, and that also has to correlate with our affordable housing plan. Uh, when it comes to police reform, there's a number of programs increasing early childcare access through the Parks and Recreation Department for low and middle income families, um, introducing more programs for high school youth, uh, whether those are you know sports related, uh, academically related so that we can give more opportunities to our to our more uh, marginalized communities, especially. And, you know, providing young adult transitional programs so that we are readying our young adults to enter the world of adulthood. And I think all of those will positively impact uh, our, our BIPOC communities in the, in the sense where we have various gaps in terms of achievement, wealth, you know, economic, um, economic value. It, it's, it's such a layered issue, um, but all of these programs seek to help, especially communities that have been uh, marginalized and are uh, minorities. And uh, we, we have the opportunity uh, to, to help our residents and, and that in the end of the day, Evanston is the way it is because of all the different cultures and all the different people that we have here in Evanston. So when it comes to, you know, having programs that improve, you know, uh, BIPOC, uh, uh, you know, lives in Evanston. Um, me directly, you know, being a black man here in Evanston uh, and, and many of my friends that I have feel as if that their experiences were, were so negative uh, while growing up uh, that they have no interest in staying in Evanston and that the first opportunity they, they left. And that's the problem when it comes to, you know, our dwindling and, and that we're losing our BIPOC communities because they aren't having a positive experience in Evanston. If you don't have a positive experience growing up, you're not going to want to raise a family here because you want, you know, a, a better life for your children and the next generation coming in after. Uh, so that's, that's why I think that tailoring these programs, especially to help out uh, youth, young adults, uh, and then to increase the affordability of Evanston overall, uh, so that we, we cover the whole spectrum, is just that we want to retain these BIPOC communities because they are integral to Evanston that Evanston is the way it is because of the various cultures, you know, the, the different religions that we have here, people from all different types of backgrounds. That's what makes Evanston so special. So we need to have those 
have those communities in Evanston. Um, and that starts by creating programs that, you know, just help out those various communities and help out Evanston residents. So do you plan to continue with the current climate and action, uh, climate action and resilience plan? And if not, what do you want to do instead? Uh-huh. So the, the climate action and resilience plan is a great document. Uh, and it, it really needs just some tweaks and some updates, uh, especially with some of their benchmarks. Uh, obviously, time has passed since the document was created back in 2018, and some of those bench- benchmarks need to be uh, pushed forward uh, in, in the sense that, you know, there are urgent needs that Evanston needs to fill that, you know, that by 2050, a lot of these goals need to have already been achieved. Uh, so doing that, uh, as well as including race and intersectionality uh, in the Climate Action and Resilience Plan. We're really lacking that. And, and again, like I mentioned earlier, is that climate change has disproportionately impacted uh, minoritized communities. So it's, it's imperative that we, that we talk about uh, that as well. Uh, and, and finally, it's just laying out an implementation strategy for, for CARP. Uh, because the Climate Action and Resilience Plan does not have an implementation poly- plan. There's no plan in place right now. So th- those are the necessary steps that need to be taken to go forward. Uh, and then when we do all of those things, fund the Office of Sustainability, then we can begin to solve and work on some of our problems here in Evanston, uh, whether that's you know fixing our plastic bag ban, uh, going through... Uh, buildings in Evanston, whether they're public or private, and seeing what types of upgrades we can make to them to make them eco-friendly. Uh, it, it's just, that's that's what we need to do. Uh, again, similar to our reparations program is that the Climate Action and Resilience Plan uh, is, a, is a great document, and it's a great step in the right direction. And, you know, I, I give full props to all the all the individuals who are responsible for making that document. We've just got to do a little bit more, and it's a great launching point. I, I believe that all candidates agree that it is, uh, and, and we just need to do the work going forward to make sure that you know we're meeting those goals and that plan uh, and, and that we're just being as environmentally conscious as we can as a city. Um, okay. So Kayla wants to know, what is the most stressful thing about running for office? Hmm. <laughs> the most stressful thing? Um. That's a great question. Um, honestly, I, I think the the most stressful thing has to be probably just some of the conversations that you have with people. I mean, especially if you if you haven't met them before, uh, just because you know you don't know what their reaction is going to be whenever you talk to them. Uh, you know, I I had really positive interactions on the campaign trail early on when I was getting signatures uh, and I was able to actually go outside, go door to door. And I had some really negative ones as well. Uh, but for every, for every one negative experience that I had, I probably had five to 10 really positive experiences where, you know, I had residents saying, you know, that they were so appreciative that, that, uh, me and some of my campaign staff would take the time to go talk to them, uh, that they were excited about me running, that we we're bringing issues to the table that haven't been talked about before. And, you know, I, 
it's of course campaigning is is stressful uh but at the same time you know i i get to go out there and talk with people and interact with new people hear their stories uh you know i've i've gotten the opportunity to to draft policy packets uh and you know i'm a little bit of a nerd so that's that's fun for me to do uh so every aspect of the campaign i've so far enjoyed doing uh and you know uh, it's it's been a positive experience across the board i i wouldn't trade it for any other thing you know i i would much rather be here doing this than you know even back at school uh so that's the way i look at it uh is that you know talking talking to people sometimes can be stressful but in the end of the day once you start having those conversations you know you're just in a more positive light and you're connecting with people um so especially in light of COVID-19, how have you been um, campaigning for however long you've been campaigning for and kind of like spreading awareness about your platform? So it's, it's been, oh shoot, almost, almost six months since the start of my campaign. So it's definitely been, you know, a long ride for me personally, at least. Uh, And in the beginning, you know, we were able to actually go outside because it was, you know, warmer obviously i i tried to you know mitigate the amount of uh amount of contact that uh me and the rest of my volunteers had and volunteer staff uh and and it's hard when you have to go out and get signatures go door to door meet people at early vote and you have to have those uh in person experiences uh just because covid is a risk uh but since then uh, a lot of our a lot of our activities have been virtual. Uh, in in the month of December, we had an event. Uh, you know, in in lieu of campaign or traditional campaign events where you have you know rallies, meet and greets in person. You know, what our campaign did is we put together a food drive in in coordination with a lot of the other aldermanic candidates, uh, and and we were able to feed. I believe it was about uh, eighty families, and. It was an experience for all of us because we were working together in a collaborative manner, but we had the opportunity to talk to residents and, and learn about them and, and, and answer any questions that they had. And at the same time, they could talk about some of the problems that they had. Uh, and, and since then, we've again been doing a lot of virtual stuff. We've had forums, debates, uh, online meet and greets, uh, you know, being able to to stand outside uh, since early votes started on the 8th. And I've been able to have conversations with residents as they've been going in the vote. And I, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's the first time that I'm doing this, obviously, as a politician uh, and running a political campaign. But at the same time, I, I think this is, this is a first time for everybody because this is, this is a new dynamic, you know, we've never been through a pandemic before, a global pandemic. So this is, it's a learning experience for anybody that's running for a political office right now. Uh, and, and so far, I, I think we've been doing what we can with a, with a limited budget and being able to, uh, you know, keep our exposure down. Uh, and, and the outreach has been great so far. We've received a lot of support and a lot of, you know, uh, just communications with, with Evanston residents. So I, I believe that we've been doing a great job so far. That's really cool about the food drive. Um, so c- yeah, congratulations on uh, feeding 80 families. That's really great. Thank you. Um, okay, so I, my final question is, why should Evanston residents vote for you? 
So uh, I think this kind of relates to, you know, how, how I differentiate myself uh, is that, you know, I, I want to work for all residents uh, and, and especially give, use my platform as, you know, uh, as, a, as a vocal tool for minoritized communities. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we, we've been able to create a campaign and, you know, quite frankly, a movement around bringing some real progressive change here in Evanston and with people from all different walks of life, whether, you know, they're from North Evanston, South Evanston, or anywhere in between. And I, I think that's what really differentiates myself from the other candidates. And, and we have plans that are ready to go day one, where we can get in the office, get right to work, and so we can see some of this, this positive change come to Evanston. Uh, so that that's why I, I would love to see uh, Evanston residents support. And even if you're not from Evanston, you know, helping out with our campaign, coming out to volunteer, uh, just because if it's something that you believe in, that you should be able to go and do it. Uh, and I, I look forward to continually being a part of the community, advocating for different ideas uh, and different problems. Uh, and, and just being there. And this is, this is my home. Uh, this is a place that I've called home for 19 coming on 20 years now. Uh, and I, I wouldn't want it any other way. I, I've always said that I want to come back here, raise a family. Um, and that's what I, what I intend to do. I, I just want to come into the community and help in any way, shape or form that I possibly can. Uh, and and I think that's what makes me unique. Uh, and and I'll, I will continue to do whatever work uh, that I possibly can do in whatever capacity that may be, uh, regardless of the outcome, you know, in February or, or in April, uh, is that I want to be here for the community and continually support them in any way, shape or form that I can. All right. Well, that's all the questions I have. Um, thank you so much for joining us. And I, I wish you the best of luck in your election next week. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. If you ever have any other questions, feel free to reach out and I'd be happy to help you. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you all for listening, whether it's through Spotify, Anchor, or WNTH 88.1. Remember, there's multiple sides to every issue, and it's always interesting to talk to people with different perspectives. I'm Casey Bertaki. Stay political.